we'll just figure it out as we go. <laughs> okay, so my name is Dudley Chiwandere, and I'm the Realize Africa president here with um, Dr. Amy Blumiers. Ah, the last in the last podcast, I didn't actually introduce myself as my brand name. I said it's Amy from Realize Africa. <laughs> I should like combine everything. Hey, Dr. Blumiers. Well, people know you in the African community, right? And um, when you do enough stuff, they start knowing you by your first name. So when, yeah. they, when we say Amy, they know it's the good doctor. It's the good doctor. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Awesome. So oh. what are we talking about today? Um, you know what? I mean, we were just talking now about authenticity, right? Yes. We just had breakfast with uh, an amazing, amazing African woman. How yes. amazing. Oh, yeah. And I love, I love, I love that... Um, we use the definition that PLO Lumumba used, right, when, when he spoke at our event launch and he said African. I'm not, not in quotes here, but I mean, the context was when we talk about African, it is everything from male to female, different races, just it, it was encompassing everything. It's encompassing the heart that you have of Africa, right? Yes. I love that definition. It's so beautiful because it's so inclusive and diverse. And that's something that we at Realize Africa absolutely love. We want for everybody to belong. For everyone to belong, right? And I uh-huh. think that's probably where the authenticity thing is so important. Is like for you to belong in a community doesn't mean you have to be like everyone else. You get to be yourself and contribute to the community, right? Because yeah. we learn from each other. Iron sharpens iron. Um, you know, we, we learn. We learn from each other and we all have different strengths. I'm in the health space and Dudley, you're in the health space, right? Sort oh, of, kind, kind of, sort, sort of, of kind ish. <laughs> yeah. yeah, sort of, kind of, sort of, kind of. <laughs> but I, I love your, um, you know, you obviously a background lawyer. Yeah, in another lifetime, I did a lot of like legal type stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it was an interesting space to be in. Uh, learned a lot, um, changed my perspective yeah. on how to look at institutions, organizations, mm-hmm. so far as they established to help people. Um, yeah. It's very interesting. So, I mean, because you're, you're a man, first of all, an African man, and then you are a husband, you're a father. You work, you know, in America. Um, you're a friend. Uh, how's that going? different roles you know being an being an adult adulting (laughs) it's that thing right where you wear different hats and you've still got to do what the word says for us to do which is try to do everything in excellence as unto god right Right. and i feel like the time is now for the clarion call to all young africans to just put themselves out there and band together with other africans and in our own small ways contribute to the bigger picture yeah I like that you spoke about standard of excellence right and I, that, mm-hmm. that leads to like intentionality is like being intentional about things I'm catching myself in it I, I'm um, you know I don't know if people know about Brene Brown but she's uh, who's uh, that she's a social scientist and she's completely changed my life um, and she basically does research around like wholehearted living vulnerability um, you know kind of being brave shame resilience right because uh-huh. for someone like me growing up I one always compared myself to other people and like I didn't come from money and but my family did right so there was always this sense of insecurity like I 
I, st- I was nervous to talk to my cousins and I mean they don't even know this but I would be nervous to talk to them and think oh my gosh my English isn't good enough <laughs> because I didn't go to like a really good school or you know and, uh-huh. and so anyways as, as you know so just kind of off track here but you know Brene Brown really talks about just the idea of wholehearted living understanding that you are enough right just as you are you are enough and you're worthy of love belonging and connection right um that you were wonderfully and fearfully made wonderfully and fearfully made right and, yeah. and that there's no it's it's not about competition and, and, and it goes back to that idea that we get to learn from each other but not become each other right True. um if all roses in the garden were red then the garden wouldn't look pretty exactly exactly yeah. exactly exactly but so Brene Brown talks about first times and she you know she's just really recognizing that in, in first times we we kind of make rookie errors right yeah. we all have to do it's, it's like a rite of passage we all have to go through those seasons so those rookie errors hey yeah. and, and those are tough and in those moments when you're holding on to the idea of standard of excellence and you're making mistakes how do you deal with that oh gosh so one thing I've learned is you need to have a standard that you're working towards. So it could be in the space that you're working. It could be self-development. You know, you taking the look inside and trying to figure out if there's voids and what you need to get in there. So you move to a, to a more improved person uh, or just being a better version of yourself. Mm-hmm. So having a mentor, okay. somebody that you look up to, somebody that you feel you're in a safe space that can speak into you but before you get there really opening up your mind and heart so you would have a teachable spirit okay makes it easy for a mentor an advisor to pour into you because they recognize that teachable spirit that spirit which is willing to unlearn old ways of thinking and doing things and learn new ways of doing things so, so two things. They're very interesting to hear you as a man say that, that you need mentorship because, um, you know, oftentimes that's, that's a woman, you know, like always seeking mentorship. And I've been reading um, Cheryl Sandberg's book on leaning in. Who is she? She is uh, the C. If I get this right, she's the COO of Facebook. <laughs> oh, she I, is. Yeah, she is. So, so I probably C- should know her. You should know her. She, her book, Lean In, is really amazing because she really talks about just as women, just having the the, the courage to really lean in. And and the, at the crux of the book is just this concept that you, you know, it's not about being fully qualified in a position. Um, if you have a teachable and a learning, a teachable spirit, a learning heart, right? Mm-hmm. You yes. can achieve anything, anything. And, and it's absolutely amazing. Um, but I bring up the mentorship thing because she, you know, she kind of said it's, it's interesting that men oftentimes have a, a little bit more of a daring spirit when it comes to, uh, you know, kind of achieving. Um, and, and women tend to shy away. And... Um, so it's just it's just very interesting to hear you say, "Hey, it's okay to have a mentor." Um, I think it's 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 just not okay. It's it's a thing to be done. You know, if you're a young man out there, a young woman, you definitely need to have people around you that can kind of show you their war scars that have walked the path before you, and they can save you the drag and delays by sharing with you insights and just what they've learned. And uh, 
save you a whole lot of pain, misery, and delays. Yeah. So how do you how do you pick your mentor? <laughs> That's the thing, how right? How do you pick your mentor? Yeah, I've I've struggled. I'll be honest. I uh, could the question be how do you pick your mentor, or how does your mentor pick you? I think it's both, right? I think uh-huh. it's both because it goes back to connection. Yes. I think for me. I've struggled with the idea of just having uh, just having a mentor because I'm a little bit of a lone wolf, um, and I as we all are to some all, extent. As we all are to some extent, and, and I oftentimes I'm told I'm, I'm I'm a little bit stubborn when it comes to like if I see that this is something that I want, even if it doesn't make sense to everyone else, that's I'm going for it, right? And oftentimes I've always been afraid that a mentor will look at me and say, "Hey." You know, although you need that wisdom, uh, you know, so so it's it's an interesting balance to kind of have someone say, "I see what you're doing. Have you thought about it this way?" But I think for me, my mentors have kind of come through not necessarily, "Hey, you're my mentor," but have come through relationship and connection where I feel safe enough to be like, you know what, you're. I feel like you're the person that I can come to and talk to about this particular thing, right? Yeah, and I think. Having clarity on what your goals, ambitions, yeah. you know, dreams are, yeah. will kind of point you to what the persona would look like for a person who would be a great mentor. And then I'm reminded of the word when it says you have not because you ask not. Mm, so if you have context around what you're looking to do, yeah. you will find people who've done it before, and if it's an alignment and you can reach out to them and you you're just bold and you say hey i like what you've done i want to learn yeah how you've done it yeah. and if they're willing particularly like you said if there's relationship there i think that's foundational it's important to have some form of human relationship with yeah. the person that's going to be your mentor yeah because i think also and i guess maybe you can you can speak to this um is from a mental perspective how you respond to someone not taking your advice is going to be important for the relationship itself it's key and important because just because you've given advice and even if you think it's the best you know sort of counsel that you could give to somebody you're uh, looking to help you know gain new perspectives ultimately they retain the right to accept adopt apply yeah whatever you know wisdom you share with them so you've also got to be willing to let them not accept <laughs> the advice and, and that, i mean that's tough right because you yeah. you may have gone through the same situation and thought oh my goodness you're going to make the same mistake right yeah but but i think it's it is your right is like i think that's important for the relationship yeah totally totally so it's it's, it's a whole lot of being humble right yeah um creating a safe space and that goes back to Brene Brown talking about shame resilience right it's like you know how we communicate with each other is so important because you you don't want to shame someone because then they they go into condemnation their walls go up and then you you, you kind of create barriers in this relationship the, the mentorship space I think needs to be a safe space where um, you know you're encouraging someone and if they're doing something wrong don't attack their character attack not attack necessarily, but it's okay to question things. Question the, 
you know, their the motive or, hey, have you thought about it this way? Or I think you did something really cool with my sister yesterday when we spoke about... Her. I did? Yeah, you, we spoke about her having a difficult conversation with a friend recently. And something that you said was really cool because you said, hey, so you felt this way when you read the message that day. Did you read the message again the next day and have the same have the same feeling right uh-huh. you know was was yeah. it the same intensity and and i think that that was that was that was cool for me because it was almost intentional to how we respond to to people right yeah and, and in the and, moment and in, then in the moment and then the next day when the feelings have kind of calmed down and, and you look at it and you go okay maybe he or she kind of had a point right uh-huh. But even if they didn't, how we handle how we handle our relationships when it comes to shame. One thing that comes to mind uh, yeah. when you talk about this, and not to go all theological yeah. on you, but I'm reminded of King David okay. in the Bible, the man who God describes as being a man after His own heart. Right. And then he had his own heart, but stolen by uh, Bathsheba. Okay. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. So. Um, and everybody knows what happened with uh, Bathsheba and Uriah. Uh, not going to go into the weeds with that. But one thing I really love about the text is when the prophet Nathan walks into the king's chambers. And there's nobody else around. And then uh, the king asks, who goes? And, and the prophet is like, it's me, it's Nathan. And then he allows him to come into his space. And, you know, they share pleasantries. And then the prophet starts talking about a poor man who was staying, I think, close to a rich man. And then a visitor came and the rich man took the poor man's lamb and offered it as as food and stuff. And then the king is outraged. He's like, who would do that? Take a poor man's only lamb? Yet, you know, he had a lot of wealth and, you know, a whole flock and just, you know, despoil this poor man of the, the only valuable thing he had. And then the prophet gently says to the king, but that's what you've done. You know, and the king is like, oh my gosh, Uriah, Bathsheba, this is what I've done. And the king then just becomes so remorseful. And I like the word you used earlier on, authentic, in an authentic way, realizes that he's gone aside from God's straight edged will and purpose and starts making peace with God. So when you talk about shame and being able to deliver a message in a way that live somebody with their sense of self not feeling like it's just been you know pulled like a rug from under their feet in a loving way i think you're on the money we have got to learn to um communicate around those things in a way that's looking from a place of love to rebuild so I have had an interesting, interesting thought, right? Um, yes. Oftentimes when we talk about politics and we, we um, I don't know what's going on here. Okay. All right. So that's the interesting thing when you're driving. recording and you're driving. And, uh, <laughs> and like things are happening. <laughs> and somebody should be driving oh, in front goodness. of you going forward and they just start. they stop. They just stop and start <laughs> backing no up. <laughs> and you're like, okay, okay, okay. We're fine. We're fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I, I think politics, politics, right? And, yeah. and for me, I guess you know we kind of look at politicians. How interesting would it be to kind of sit around a table with a politician and and have a conversation not centered around shame, you know, not centered around, you know, 
you are killing the economy and you are this and your character and you're corrupt and you're this and and what would that conversation look like if we connected with politicians on a human level and really said hey so so it's not we're not here to attack your character but there's certain actions that you're doing right now that's not actually benefiting the next generation right um what would that do 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 you feel like maybe conversation like Mm -hmm. that like if if the conversation around policy uh you know was a lot more to do with the action and not you know attacking people if maybe people would respond differently right so this is big once the word politics pops up yeah yeah everyone's like what's up we're done i'm out of here you know people start looking around them and you know start thinking all kinds of thoughts but you are right politicians have a lot of influence because they exercise discretions over the lives of millions and they have to come up with policy that helps people you know live a better standard of life and just you know find themselves in communities that are doing better so public policy would you really need to be a politician to know what's in the best interests of public policy to know what's utilitarian what will bring the most good to the most people i think you framed it right um you've got to be human first before you become a politician and we've got to ask what motivates somebody to want to be in a position of leadership is it for the good of the people the led or is it for personal gain and if there's those sticky topics that would come up that you you're kind of like you know referencing yeah how can we talk to politicians without making it seem like it's a blame game like it's a witch hunt yeah. uh, like we're looking for somebody to nail um you know to the yeah. wall um yeah i think about it i i think it's interesting because then also i think here's the thing is we're expecting polit and i and yeesh, i you know people would maybe say to me i'm standing on the side of politicians here's here's my thought walk me through it let me walk you through my thought process we're not all mother Teresa. i would love i would love to to say that we can all be mother Teresa. i think when uh you know you speak of temptation i think the human we're all human and at the core of our humanity with any sort of temptation just as it is with the concept of sin entering the world is that we would fall so oftentimes I think we look at politicians and we're like, I would never do what they're doing until you're a politician and all of a sudden you're the one that's accepting the bribe. All of a sudden you're the one that's going, oh, it's a thank you for me to fast track this. It's just fast tracking something, right? Mm-hmm. And I think, I think it starts with the politicians understanding that there is a humanistic level that will tend towards corruption, that will tend towards wanting more things. You know, it, it's you want to flash your car, and and it, it's just it is what it is, right? It's like first it's a flashier car, and then it's hey, we're supposed to be having a meeting talking about policy, but they've paid for a boat ride, for a sunset cruise. I actually really want to go to that. That's the humanistic level. I think as politicians, it's it's going to be important to reckon with your human side. I think 
and then also reckon with why you're doing what you're doing so there is sacrifice to what you're doing much and and I think I think it starts at the top where if you maybe mm-hmm. just the humility of understanding that there's sacrifice that comes with it I think a leader should eat not last because we still need you to lead mm-hmm. but at the same time I don't think a leader should eat first either right and I don't think a leader should be looking to want to feed himself I think his people should be looking to want to feed him or her so I think I think it's it's really maybe just for me would be reckoning with your human side and being like I could fall prey to this temptation but if I look forward to what am I doing why am I doing what I'm doing yes. it's for the kids it's for why? the next generation it's for a thousand years from now when no one remembers my name but we've left a better world we've left a better Africa so is the problem with the current crop of politicians or is it in the process that has socialized young people to grow up in certain communities thinking that getting into a position of leadership is actually an opportunity to leave larger the expense of the public purse is there something that's gone wrong with our socialization is there something that's gone wrong with the stereotyping of what leadership is in the present generation what is it that we need to do to get better leaders or is the problem with those who have it within their power to elect leaders to start being a bit more diligent about who it is that they repose trust and allow to exercise constitutional powers on their behalf has democracy failed or has the way that we socialize those who are to choose the future leaders failed lots of questions i mean lots of questions i think firstly i don't think anyone really goes into a space of leadership thinking i'm going to do this so that i can take as much as i can and leave the world to a terrible place i think what happens is you 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 go in there going you start off with good intention mm-hmm. you start off with going i want to make things better and you walk into a system that's so flawed and a system that's so corrupt that it can sometimes blindside you so i think the system itself is definitely a problem but who but, makes the system? Well, I think look, people, people people make the system, but then it goes back to the idea that remember people are flawed. So I feel like whatever we make is going to be flawed, which is why we need to intentionally put in place things like accountability, transparency, account- transparency, which is, you know, so these are values that realize Africa holds because we understand that daddy tomorrow tomorrow yeah. I could become the person that someone offers me 10 million dollars to change my wheat relief company as long as i do something shady and it's not that shady it's never it's never presented as this is completely illegal mm-hmm. do this it's never presented like that it's always a little bit it's it's a it's not exactly illegal half truth is you know what i mean and, and and it's those things that the little bit of little bit of corruption little bit of corruption makes a difference which is the same thing that we're talking about so I love what I'm hearing and I think as Realize Africa a part of our main focus is to get young people to realize to go through this process of realization in their minds that there is something that they can do to make this place wherever they are better their communities participate in processes and try to make them better without 
necessarily being political. Right. It's just great to have a community that works well without need for leaning into any political affiliation, without needing to be beholden to any political ideology. Just that humanitarian positive thought that it's good when everybody does well, it's good for our community. So how do we get young people to network and start talking about these things and just realize that you cannot change the machine from outside you've got to go inside so how do you get more of those bright minds those well-meaning well-cultured right principled people to go into those places and take over the spaces of leadership it's hope hope i think that's that like you know obviously i've been contemplating this and i think i've been telling you you know that obviously don't know me as a contemplator um, I'm feeling first so I react to things with feeling but very quickly go back to thought right logic mm-hmm. and um, not that there's anything wrong with emotion I think both are very strong right mm-hmm. um, and important but I think that it goes back to hope if you can in whatever space you are whether you're an art designer you're a filmmaker sell tomatoes on the side of the road you're a chiropractor if you have the hope that whatever you're doing is making a difference and making the system better for someone else right Mm -hmm. i think we all that hope is what's going to make africa different africa better a hope that you know what if we're all contributing in our own way you don't have to be a philanthropist to make a difference in africa you just need to be an accountable graphic designer with integrity when you quote someone you quote them and don't just change your prices you give them a standard of excellence with your logo design even if it's the two dollars you know it's it's the little things like that that when we start creating a culture of excellence a culture of value we're going to make africa better so your little actions every day treat all men and women alike whether it's the high paying uh, customer or the small job give them as much heart and commitment as you would from the big dollar ticket to the twenty dollar and recognize i think recognize that you you're it's different it's not our natural inclination because if it was our natural inclination we wouldn't have these problems so we have a definition of the problem to me i want to hear what your part is like what do you discern to be a part of the problem because how do we solve the problem unless we know that we've defined it in a good way yeah i mean that's 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 good oh that's interesting i think i think it's i think our culture I think the problem is, and I guess for me, is just the idea that we've somewhat lost the true identity of what being African is. When we speak of the spirit of Ubuntu, of being, it's about people, right? Yeah. Um, no man it, left behind. No man left behind. And, and it runs deep, right? It's like you talk of the fact that I think colonialization left us with a little bit of PTSD, right? And, and you will react, hurt people, hurt people, you know, so there are yes. scars. 
and this trauma from colonization that we can't avoid, right? So we were thrown into, we had a system before colonization. Um, I hope I'm saying that word right, but we, we had we had a system before that. We had a civilization before that. We yes. had a way, we had a culture. And now we've been thrown into what is not our own. And I think the, the beauty of Africa is that it's not our own, but we have adapted. We all speak English. We're all driving the cars. We're all cre we're creating these things. We're making computers. We're fixing computers. We have adapted, but within our like our adaptation, I think yes. it's just going to be important that we remember fundamentally who we are. And it's that African wokeness that I think is. Let's go back to that where we we were a people of community. We were people of each other. Right? We used to produce for ourselves. We used to produce for ourselves. We used to build for ourselves. The, the pyramids, Great Zimbabwe. We were innovative. We didn't have to look, you know, when you, when you kind of think of the, the concept of like following what the first world is doing. Back when we didn't have cell phones and all of that stuff, right? We yeah. could see that, but we were building. We had civilization. We had ways of communicating, ways of travel, ways of eating. We need to go back to that space of innovation. We need to go back to that space of, like Americans, they will talk about, let's make America great again. We're the greatest nation. The only reason why that could stand true is the fact that they keep saying it and they truly believe it. Are they the greatest nation? Eh. Eh. But you go into America and you will feel it. So it starts in the mind, it right? It starts in the mind. It starts in within us, I think. At the, you know, obviously my opinions <laughs> and that's why we need to have this conversation so we can share those thoughts and have people thinking about um, you know how it is that we could look at our present condition right. why is it that you can have say upwards of 20 or 25 universities in say Zimbabwe yeah. or any other country you can think of but we're not getting a lot of like IP backed innovation coming out of Africa. There's people that are innovating and creating new technologies and products and that is fine, but are we on a grand scale producing as much as we should? Yeah. So do we, we have it, the intellectuals who are building things that will lead into the next generation or do we have universities churning out mass-produced graduates with degrees in what I call quote-tology? You know, all they explain do that, is so it's it's so here's the thing, right? When when I look at Athens, Greece, and yeah. you know all those places where there was a lot of scholarly, um, you know, discussion and stuff going on, yeah. you would come up with your idea, and then other thought leaders would, you know, have varying opinions, try to shoot it down or whatever. Not just for the sake of shooting it down, but in the quest for truth and a deeper sense of knowledge. So. We have a lot of like universities, science universities, but they are not innovating and producing stuff that we can actually commercialize and take to market right. and then create jobs in Africa. Yeah. So what's the purpose in us having a science university where people are going to come out saying, according to Soren Soar, this is the science and this is how it's now being done and not challenge some of those theories and not come up with new ways of doing stuff and creating new gadgets and devices and stuff that we can sell and actually create jobs. So 
I, you know what, the funny thing about it is that I can guarantee you that overseas in those spaces that are actually yeah. creating and innovating, they are Africans. And, and so within, yes. if you put an African in a good system, in a good space, England, South Africa, the amount of people that I would hear that would say, we love Zimbabweans, they're so hardworking, they're so intelligent. And yes. it's like, so something like that, you can't tell me that hardworking and intelligent and we're not innovating So in our own home. So here's the thing. Innovating is one thing. But coming up with that IP-backed innovation, that will actually bring foreign revenue back, back to Africa. Back yeah, so yeah, yeah. we need to have more guys coming up with the Teslas of the future in Africa and building those warehouses and not just digging up minerals and having yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, all yeah, those yeah. minerals taken to all other places in the world, creating jobs there and then brought back to us after value addition. And we haven't created jobs and income along the value chain. So... How can we get to that space? Like, as we talk about that um, spirit of excellence, right, that you were making reference yeah. to, yeah. how to yeah. do things in excellence. Well, let's, let's create systems. Let's create... Oh, I think I was supposed to go. <laughs> oh, I love those guys. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, I think let's create systems because that's yeah. the one thing that, you know, Africans leave Africa because of systems. You, you go to the UK because the economy is just better, the system's better. Um, you know, the climate in terms of your ability to, to do these things. There's opportunity to do these things. Why can't young Africans do stuff in Africa? Well, I think, I think one, we, we need to challenge the status quo. And, and sometimes it just comes from having these conversations. But it's also going to be governments, right? Your people in leadership. Listen to the youth. The youth know what's going on. And sometimes the world... Do you know the thing is, is the world is changing so quickly that I, as a youth, struggle to keep up sometimes. I can't tell you what the latest iPhone is. I don't know. Last time I checked, we were on. I think it was X. I think they might start adding numbers to them now. Oh, yeah. And I think they're all the way up to 11 and Pro. And, exactly. You know. Exactly. So, so you really just look at the idea that, hey, guess what? We, we're moving so quickly. If our government is made up of older people, and no disrespect to older people because we need their wisdom, mm -hmm. but something like in Ghana, and I think it's, it is Ghana where they've got a youth parliament, right? Yeah. And, and I think that's important because the youth need to be ideating, the youth need to be talking because they're the ones keeping up with what's happening. They're the ones keeping up with the iPhone you know whatever it is or the samsung whatever it is this is not a paid sponsorship but if iphone would like to send me an iphone that would be great <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing you know what i mean but <laughs> or you know but, but but here's i think this is here's here's the thing is like listen to the youth they know what's going on they know you know they're keeping up with the times and and so I think just, just having a learning spirit and if our governments could have the learning spirit, you have people that are willing to teach you. So it sounds to me like a lot is also kind of to do with policy making and leadership in, you know, in all the right uh, spaces that matter. Okay. You've mentioned government, government governance, yeah. um, politicians. What's the average age of people who are leading in those policy-making spaces and, you know, yeah. 
what's the average age of the African? We have the youngest population in the world, um, but we have the oldest leaders in the world, and we have a population that's dying because we're not living long enough. So, much as we have the youth in those spaces with great ideas, nobody's listening to them. Is it something to do with the culture that it's patriarchal? That it's once your elder looks you in the eye, you can't say or do anything. Uh, could that be a function of you know what's going on? Yeah. Can you really change that? I I think we can if we have a learning spirit and learning heart to trump some of these things, right? Um, but we're coming up to the departure lounge now. Um, oh yeah! And so it just means that our lovely our lovely podcast is done, and <laughs> and yeah, I guess you know these are all ideas, conversations, freestyle, um, freestyle conversations. I hope. Yeah. You know, if you listen to this and you want to comment, uh, yeah, join join us at Realize Africa. Uh, check out our website www.realize.africa. Um, yeah, we're on social media. I sometimes like leave out the one W. Like, yeah, I'm like WW. And <laughs> people are like, "Whoa, wait a minute! Shouldn't <laughs> it be three? Shouldn't it be three? Or like, four? Or <laughs> but, but you know, so I was like, "Oh gosh, did I really do that?" But I was so happy to see that a lot of people are actually paying attention. That's why they picked up on that. And they're checking out the website. And every young person in Africa is actually going on to that website and signing the Great African Survey. So we want to learn more about you, where you're at, what's going on, what you're thinking. And let's have these crowdsourced, cross-pollinated type ideas, you know, just flowing freely across the continent from Cape to Cairo, Lagos to Mombasa. Love it. Thank you, Dudley. Dr. Amy Bloomiers, thank you for <laughs> taking me to the airport. Out, guys, bye. bye. <laughs>